want to go back and review the last two weeks, especially in light of last week missing church for this weather and the snow. I can't hardly see to read, so bear with me till this problem gets out of my eyes. Um, we started going through the book of Joel, and I'm going through it way too fast. I apologize for that, but um, I can't even read the words. Joel, if we turn to the book of Malachi, the last chapter, we see the Lord prophesying with the last prophet that He would send before the 460 years of darkness when there were no seers and there were no prophets to bring God's Word to His people. This was done because of their sinful nature and how they had corrupted the service of God. They were in darkness from that time to the time of Christ, but God told them of a day it would be called the great and terrible day of the Lord. As we begin Joel, we see the Lord giving instruction through Joel to those in Judea, for Israel existed no more. And God giving instruction to those in Judea that they were going to bear their sin, their punishment for their sin temporally in this world and that God would fulfill the law in Christ before the end of the book He's preaching this. He told them what would happen and He told them why it would happen. Because they betrayed the Lord, they turned against the Lord, they turned to idolatry. And God was going to punish them. I've said this many times. Every time God works, all His ways are just and all His ways are judgment. When God delivers His people, God delivers this from our enemies who are the enemies of God. And when God delivers His people, God judges His enemies. God judges enemies in a way of controlling them or punishing them or destroying them, whatever way it pleaseth Him at that time in His purpose. And God judges His people in love by ruling over them, reigning within them and leading them as they are to go. Now, as we came toward the end of chapter 2, we came to the... I was going to read this, but I can't see the book right now. The words are all funny, so just bear with me. Peter in Acts chapter 2, as those men were speaking in tongues, now understand what that meant. These men were Jews from every nation where they had been dispersed because of their sins and the sins of their fathers before them. So naturally they spake in the tongue of the people from whence they dwelt where God had driven them. And some accused them of being drunken. 
Peter said, These men are not drunk, but this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel. Now, I said this in the beginning of this series, if we call it that. This book is pertaining to the fulfilling of the law, the destruction of Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus Christ, back to Malachi, that I'll send my messenger before you before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, that was John the Baptist preparing the way for Christ, preaching repentance and the remission of sins. At the same time, God would judge these men of Judea, God's Christ, His Son, the living Word of God, who was made flesh, would dwell among us. He came to the world to suffer, bleed, and die, and save His people from their sins. Every one the Father gave Him has salvation from their sins. They have everlasting life. Period. Period. Doesn't matter who they are. That's why a lot of places we say, we read, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's whosoever God chose. Whosoever God gave to the Son. Jew and Gentile alike from before the foundation of the world. Now this leads us up as Peter was talking and that pertaining to the church of grace and the manifestation of the Spirit of God being poured out upon the Gentiles and the special graces of the Spirit of God which were given to those men as the New Testament was being written. I said this then, I'll say it again now. We, don't, we, don't, we can't raise the dead. I cannot heal the sick. That was for gifts given to that age of the church while the New Testament was being written, this is the household of faith. We see by faith in our heart, yet they saw by sight the power of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, manifested when these men of God that God called and sent for could raise the dead, heal the sick, while the church was founded and the New Testament Scripture was being written. So at the end of chapter 2, we come to the time of Peter specifically on that day. God said, I'll pour out My Spirit upon all flesh. What's that mean? That means not just among Judea, not just among the Israelites who have ceased to exist in the identity of God's children because they had intermingled with the world and those around them and the Syrians and lost their identity as God's children, as many in this world do today. It means that God would pour out His His Spirit upon men and women, old and young, from every race, every people, every tongue, every nation, in mankind and manifest the election of God, the election of grace, back to Ephesians 3, mystery kept secret from the foundation of the world, yet was now being revealed. How is it 
revealed in Christ by the Spirit of God and God's direction and at God's discretion, the Son of Man quickeneth whom He will, being revealed that God's people among the Gentiles, the Spirit of God was poured out among them. Now, He said that your handmaids would prophesy, your old men would dream dreams, your young men should see visions. Different thoughts on that, but that was given for that day. And I made this point. I'm going to make it again. Many use this text in Joel to say how women should be allowed to preach in the ministry. Many go to the women in the New Testament in the first century, such as Priscilla and others who were there and were teaching God's Word. But you have to go back to the text in Joel to fully explain that. In that day. In the day of the manifestation of the Spirit when the special gifts of the Spirit were given to the church and the apostles were preaching and Christ was building His church or built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. When those things were being done in that day, God used the woman to preach. I've said this, I'm going to say it again. This is not belittling a woman. The Bible liberates a woman. The Scripture liberates a woman. They're equal with their husband. They may be weaker in flesh, mostly speaking. Although I've known some big, strong women that were police officers. But anyway, that's another day. But they're equal. They don't have to follow along with a veil over their face like the Taliban does. The Scripture liberated women. But my point with this is women prophesied in those days, but Paul said if a man desires the office of a bishop, the man is who God calls to preach. Now my eyes are opening a little bit more here. I hope to continue. Well, that ain't going to work. And it shall come to pass afterward that I pour out My Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy... Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants. Those are slaves. You catch that? Upon the servants. I was reading this yesterday thinking about after the Civil War when the slaves were freed, how many of those people who had been captured and brought over here met at Flint River Church. At times, they had more slaves there worshiping than they did the people who used to own them. It's a remarkable history to study. And the grace of God as He liberates spiritually those people, as He liberates all of His people from the bondage of sin and death and from ignorance and darkness, us being Gentiles in the flesh who were without God in the world. He said, And I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. There's a destruction. Jerusalem. There's the end of the law of service. There's the Roman army destroying the Jews. And we went through that in greater detail the last time we were here. But if you want to study history, pick up Josephus, the Jewish historian, and read of the anguish they had in their hearts. Read how they met together and committed suicide upon Mount Massad because they did not want their wives and their children to be molested and to be in the bondage of a foreign enemy 
who hated them and looked down upon them just as much as the Jews looked down upon the Gentiles. But my point being, there was a change because God would do away with the first and establish the second. God did that. He did away with the first by fulfilling the law to a jot and a tittle by His Son, Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross of Calvary. He established His second in the death, burial, resurrection of the Son of God and the revelation of the Son of God in His finished work and sent forth His ministry whom He calls, whom He chooses, whom He enables. We don't use these assemblies of teachers. The Holy Spirit is the teacher, God Himself, and sent them forth to preach the Gospel, beginning, as I said, with the apostles. And that's carried on today in the New Testament church. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. The great and terrible day of the Lord. The total destruction upon those in Jerusalem who rejected the very Son of God Himself, accused Him, the second person of the Godhead, of blasphemy, and said to Pilate, Release unto us Barabbas. There's a picture of a child of God. Release unto us this traitor, sedition, this male factor, criminal, this robber, this thief. That's us and our nature and the doctrines of man who rob God. First of all, we try to rob Him of His glory by giving the glory due Him to idols and pagan worship. But the Bible in Malachi says, will a man rob God? Chapter 3 about verse 8. But thou hast robbed me in tithes and offerings. That teaches us the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees who coveted all the gold in the temple. Recently we talked about the walls of Jericho in Joshua chapter 6. And the thing that befell them there that they had to be destroyed for. The man that did was he refused to bring the things of spoil to the house of God and give them to God to whom they rightfully belong. This is the same as the Pharisees. Coveting the gold and silver of the temple. Cherishing it more than the temple itself and the Lord who dwells there. And you find that in the doctrines of man, especially with this prosperity gospel going around. God never promised us prosperity and riches and money. If you want to make money, we live in a capitalist country, get a job, go to work, make money. I was taught that when I was 12 years old. Get up, go to work. You want something? We'll go work and get it. The prosperity in the Scripture is prospering in godliness and the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. But God would destroy them. That's the great and terrible day of the Lord. And John the Baptist was here preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Malachi, last chapter. 
the messenger of God and Christ who would come. John was six months older than the Lord Jesus Christ. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. What's that saying? This is not just Judea. Forget Israel. They're gone. They don't exist. They killed themselves. They, they committed suicide. They intermingled with the people of the world and worshipped their pagan gods. Does that not happen today with God's children? We do it. He does not. He suffers us to suffer the consequences of our action and every action has a consequence. Whosoever all the elect of God among the Gentiles. And as I said beginning this, every single one He gave the Father will be in possession of eternal life before they leave this world. And they will be changed, spiritually speaking. The day comes, the body will be changed and reunited. But this text is dealing with the church of God. This text is dealing... Oh, we can make it fit the Assyrians. Isaiah 10. Uh, we can make it uh, fit with the Romans in the time of Christ. Matthew 24. Destroy this temple and I'll raise again in three days speaking of His body and all that would follow from A.D. 70 to about 77 and the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman army. We can make it apply to the last day of judgment when Christ appears in the sky and all the wicked are destroyed. Because God always delivers His people. And God always judges the wicked. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion, there's the city of David, there's the church. And in Jerusalem, there's the capital city, there's the church. Shall be deliverance. Deliverance as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant. The church of God is a remnant of His people. Remember going through Revelation a year ago or so. Remember the remnant. The 144,000 from among the sons of Jacob Dan is not included in that. Well, if God has a people from Dan, they'll stand in heaven in a mortal glory with Christ. Take it to the bank. But Dan is replaced by the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, for that purpose. And there was 12,000 from each tribe because that taught us of the remnant of God's people that served God in the world by the sovereign providence of God with them, quickening them, drawing them, adding to the church study, such as should be saved. The remnant whom the Lord shall call. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For ye see your calling, brethren. I remember, since I can't see, we'll just try to preach here a little bit. I remember when I was called to the ministry. I was sitting at my brother-in-law's 
house one morning, not in his house, we were in the woods. It was probably 25 degrees. To, it was so cold, the pine straw had frost popping up in it. The darkness was dissipating. The light was coming in just as God works in our soul and spirit and being. And the beauty of the day, the sun shining through that cold, desolate forest. And those words kept going through my mind because I was fighting the ministry. But whether it's a call to the ministry or just a call to God was a great feature. It's the same. It's the same. You cannot get here unless you're called. It's not your choice. It's His and His providence for the glory of His Son. And all those the Father gave Him shall come unto Him and He would in no wise cast them out. Not even one. But I remember sitting there thinking about my two sons being born and the grace of God in my life who am an undeserving sinner and that kept going through my mind for ye see your calling, brethren. We have to be called. The remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now we start chapter 3. For behold, in those days, what days are we talking about? The early days of the New Testament church. The New Testament Scripture was being written. They were writing letters to churches. The books we have, the Gospels were being composed. First century church. In those days... And in that time, clarify that, in that time. That was then. And this is important. When I shall, this is a positive shall of God. It cannot fail. When I shall bring again. Okay? Okay? Again. Again. Let's take the word regeneration for just a moment. When God created man upon the face of the earth and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and man became a living soul and everything was good and upright, there is the original, I'll use the word generation. There's the time when God created and gave life. And then sin and death entered the world by one man, Adam. Blame that on us. And now we have regeneration by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. God has brought us back to Himself. God has made atonement for us. God has given us life. And you have He quickened while you were dead in trespassing sins. Okay? There's an example. Behold in those days and in that time when I shall bring again He's going to re-establish, if you please, and I'll use that terminology loosely, for God does not have to do anything twice. If He does, there's a reason. But what He's plainly saying is what was given in Judea, what we had corrupted, what Satan had attacked, what had fallen and was in rebellion to God, and men being lovers of men more so than of God, and all the blessings and graces bestowed upon them the law of service corrupted. And God says, I'll bring again the captivity. Of who? Judah. Galatians 
I believe we're not. We're not. We're, 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 there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. We'll get into that some other time. Don't you dare tie this to the resurrection of the dead and say women won't be raised up as women because to be resurrected means to bring the same thing forth again. Period. But he will. We're Jew in the eyes of God. Okay. The church is the heavenly city, New Jerusalem, which came down from God out of heaven. When I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, there's the people, there's the church, Judah, the tribe, Jerusalem, the people, and all of God's children are Jew. Why? Because Christ sprang from Judah and He is our brother, our elder brother. We have our inheritance in Him. I will also gather all nations. There's some destruction coming here. I've hesitated to go in depth in some of this because of the destruction. That's my fault. I should not shun to give you the truth, but after going through Revelation, my wrong was to deny you the depth of that. But bear in mind, I'm not going to here. God said, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles 20. I've got that marked because I wanted to read you a few things there if the Lord will bless me to see it. My eyes are clearing some. If you get in Second uh, Chronicles, we're dealing with Jehoshaphat. Ammon and Moab were about to destroy them. Here's the reason. Now you bear in mind Satan's reason today as Satan's reason was in that day, both with Jehoshaphat and both in Rome. I think it's verse 11. Behold, I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession which thou hast given us to inherit. Ammon and Moab were there to cast them out of the land of Canaan that God had promised unto them. Satan desires to cast us out of the church of God because he knows his time is short. He knows his days are limited. Remember Revelation 12, and he went to make war with the remnant, there's that word again, of the seed of the woman, the church, who keep the testimony of God. And he said, O our God, will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. We can't stand before Satan. We can't stand before governments of men. We cannot fight these people. But Lord, You can. Nothing is hard for the Lord. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon Thee. That's where we need to be looking today. Second Chronicles 20. Let me find something I want to read you before I move on. Verse 17, Jehoshaphat speaking to Jerusalem, you shall not need to fight in this battle. You catch that? Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Why? Because the Lord would fight for them. The same Lord who will fight for us today. He said, set yourselves. Stand 
ye still. Where else have we heard that Moses, when he stood with the children of Israel and Pharaoh's army bearing down at the Red Sea, stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord. The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. And the Red Sea parted. This is what Jehoshaphat said. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. I'm not going to dwell on this text. I'll come back to it sometime. I'm making a point to get over here. But I want you to see what happened. And you can begin reading in verse 21, they went out to praise the Lord. That's how they went to battle, to praise the Lord. What do we need to be doing today? Praising the Lord, worshiping God. God will deliver His people. And you read on down in Ammon and Moab, actually killed each other because God turned them to do so. And Judah was delivered. And Jerusalem was delivered because the enemy consumed itself. And there was a great spoil of jewels and such things that God allowed them to have. We have those spoils. We have those jewels today in the church with God's people in the graces of the Spirit of God. I will... Now that was called... That's Jehoshaphat. This is called the Valley of Jehoshaphat, okay? That was in the Valley of Barak. That's not in Jehoshaphat. Now you watch this and I'll be short with it. According to Josephus, the only place called Jehoshaphat, Barak is still Barak unto this day. The only place called Jehoshaphat in the Scripture, and you watch how the brilliance of God ties this together in such simplicity with such depth and beautiful pictures. The only place it's called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. <laughs> it's the Valley of Kidron. You know the Mount of Olives on the east, the Garden, Gethsemane. Come down, cross the brook Kidron into the Valley of Kidron. That word Jehoshaphat is what it's called. The word Jehoshaphat means the Lord, the God, judges. Jehoshaphat. The valley of Jehoshaphat. Christ left the Mount of Olives. Christ left the garden. Christ came down and crossed the brook Kidron. Kidron is the place where the kings of Israel destroyed idols. Christ crossed that. Christ destroys your idols. He takes away the idols from our heart. He destroys the paganism and things that would carry us away. Kidron was a place with many cemeteries. 
Many dead valleys. Christ walked among the dead, meaning He came to this sin-cursed earth. And we're all dead in trespass and sin. He came to the cemetery with legion and drove the devils out. If you think Satan does not know his time's limited, what did they say to the Lord when He came up? Oh, Thou Son of God, hast Thou come to torment us before the time. They know their day is coming. The devils believe and tremble. But my point to you is this. Christ crossed that brook, destroying the idolatry in our heart. Christ walked among the dead, crossing through that valley of death, laying His life down when His body became sin for us, when He was nailed to the cross. But He came through. He resurrected. There's the valley of Jehoshaphat. There was garbage there. There was a trash dump just like people do today. Come up to a beautiful place and there sits a truckload of garbage. Bite my tongue. The point is the Scripture is showing us how Christ came through these things and why it's in Jehoshaphat. Kidron is Jehoshaphat. That's according to the Jews. Christ came through that. Christ bore all that for us and came through it. He delivered us. God said, I will also gather all nations. Gentiles. That's all that means. Gentiles. At the day Peter's talking about, they were Romans. A lot of folk, religious theologians, think this is talking about Assyria. It would apply to Assyria. Many apply it to the last day, the day of judgment. It would apply there. But when the Holy Spirit of God, through the hand of Peter, pens the word, this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel, that teaches me this is talking about the time of Christ, the fulfilling of the law, the destruction of those who said, let His blood be upon us and our children and the foundation of the New Testament church where we worship and have peace with God today. He said, oh, we'll also gather all nations and we'll bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Judgment, God judges. And will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Deuteronomy 31. You can read that, and I'm going to paraphrase it. God told Moses, You're going to die. And these people whom you've led are going to inherit this land. And when they have been here a while, when they've got comfortable in the land, you wonder why God lets us suffer? Why we suffer afflictions and persecution? When we get comfortable and sit on our hands, our minds stray. Our hearts stray. When we're suffering affliction within or without, we turn and seek the Lord. Okay? Gather all nations. 
down the valley of Jehoshaphat will plead with them for my people Israel, for my heritage Israel, rather, whom they have scattered among the nations. Alright, Deuteronomy 31. God said, when you have inherited land and you've been there in your hearts, you go whoring after the gods of the world and you intermingle with these people whom I have separated you from and will drive out from before you. I give you deliverance. I drive them out. And you turn back to them. That's the nature of man, brethren. There's no salvation without Christ. It is impossible. If you've been scattered and persecuted, I said, I'll plead with these nations. Don't you think God is begging? Because He's not. God is stating. God is declaring. And they have cast lots for my people and have given a boy for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they might drink. I don't know who I was talking to before church, but we came across this briefly. Of the slaves in Rome. Now I know other people have done this. Other nations. When you defeat an enemy... Even you can look at Vietnam, the war crimes that went on there by different people. When you fight someone, you hate someone, you conquer someone, you belittle them. How do they belittle them? Physically. Forced intimacy. Let me say it in a polite way. What's God say? They've cast lots for my people, selling slaves, Revelation 18, those who sold the souls of men. See, this all is together. Given a boy for a harlot, can we say the Middle East and Iraq today? I've got friends that were in the military and went over there. It's against their religion to take a girl, so they take a boy. Well, we know for a fact, recorded in history, that the Romans had slaves for the purpose of physical gratification, and they would take boys, boys, and abuse them. This is my enemy. This is he whom I have complete dominion and power over. They sold them. Used them as a harlot. Sold a girl for wine that they might drink. Yea, and what have ye to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon? You don't have anything to do with me, he's saying. You're not my people. You're not my nation regarding this text in the physical nation of Judea. Okay, God has a people from every people. Don't get confused. Keep it in the context it's using. Tyre and Zidon were port cities. This is why the Lord uses them in Ezekiel 28 to describe the wicked and Satan. They're port cities, just as the goods of the world come in through New Orleans and Mobile, a port cities. The temptations and filth and garbage of the world coming in through these rich nations of Tyre and Zidon into the land of Israel, showing us how Satan breathes these things into our heart and corrupts us. They both hated Israel. They both fought Israel, yet Israel would trade with them to bring things of the world in. That's why the old Baptists are so adamant we will not have things of the world come into the church. 
praise and worship teams, give me a break. Seminaries, give me a break. God does not use that. That is mentioned nowhere in Scripture. Enough said, move on. Hey, and what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon, and all the coast of Palestine? They're still fighting Palestinians today. Will ye, my enemies, render me a recompense? I think not. And if you recompense me swiftly and speedily, will I return your recompense upon your own head? You fight against me, and I will destroy you. God's done it with bees. God's done it with hemorrhoids. God's done it with grasshoppers. And God's done it with armies. And God's done it with angels. He will destroy He'll turn their own works upon their own head and they will be consumed. Because you have taken my silver and my gold. Now this is referring to silver and gold. But I'll also bring this to mind if you want to think about it sometime. I think it's Haggai, Habakkuk 1. I think it's Habakkuk. God said, all the gold is mine and all the silver is mine. And it's true, God possesses everything in this earth which He created. But... The gold and the silver also represent the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Ark of the Covenant is overlaid pure gold, righteousness. Silver being His glory. And all the idols and all the paganism giving glory to idols and not to God. We see that over and over through the Scripture. Because you've taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my goodly pleasant things, you think about uh, Nebuchadnezzar bringing all the vessels of the house of gold, the house of God, the gold and silver, into their pagan temples and setting them up with their pagan gods who are not gods. But it came to naught. Children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have you sold unto the Grecians that you might remove them far from their border. You see, this is just exactly what had happened. God told them, when you do these things, I'll scatter you among the heathen. And they were carried to the four ends of the earth, which by the way, is one reason we find in Matthew the Lord will send His angels with the sound of a trumpet that's preaching the gospel together, together, his elect from the four corners of the earth, they had been scattered. God would bring them in again. The gospel did not give them life. They had to be allowed to hear the gospel. Life must precede action. But God calls them by the gospel to the obtaining of the glory of Jesus Christ. Behold, I will raise them out of the place whither you have sold them and will return your recompense upon your own head. There is the deliverance to a child of God. There is the judgment of the wicked. Whether it were the Assyrians or the Romans, whether it's going to be at the last day, this text is dealing with Rome. But God always delivers His people and God always judges the wicked. And I will sell your sons and your daughters under the hands of the children of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off, for the Lord has spoken it. 
What you have done to my people, I will do unto you, and my people shall possess you. Did God not drive out the inhabitants of the land for His people? What they do, God overturns and delivers to us. God fights for us. Proclaim you this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Prepare war. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. There's a fine line between God's suffering and God ordaining. I'm not going to get into that. It makes no difference to me which way it is. It is of God, and I'm content with that. Just as God sent an angel to destroy the Assyrians over 100,000 in one night, just as God sent the Medes to conquer Babylon as He raised up Cyrus, His enemy, king of Persia, to reestablish and rebuild the city, just as God destroyed the Romans. And just as God sent heathen Mohammedans to destroy what was in Rome. Prepare war. There's a war coming. There's going to be a recompense. Just as at the last day, what He says to those that are left in the nature of Adam in our own works and sin. Depart from me, you cursed, and everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angel. But this text, this text is dealing with the time of Rome. The New Testament church. The first century church. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. We are strong in Christ. We're in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord because the Lord fights for us. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. So there cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. This is used by every Arminian preacher I have ever heard to preach of the last day. And it will fit there, but the text we've already said is about the church. God gathered the Romans in His day, just as God gathered the Jews, as this text is saying, to be destroyed and the city destroyed. God used Mohammedans to destroy, to destroy Rome. Just leave it to that. God does that daily. Well, what do you mean? I'll give you two words for a name: Adolf Hitler. God destroyed him. He was killing people. God destroyed him. 
God does that daily. This text is dealing with Rome and the church and the Jews who were in power. Come all you heathen, gather yourselves together around. What's he saying? Bring your mighty men, you heathen. Bring them down to stand against me. That brings to my mind 1 Samuel 17 when David stood down and Goliath, one big man had the whole army of Israel at bay and David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dared defy the armies of the living God? God says, bring them down. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. God judges the wicked. Let the heathen be awakened. He says, put ye in the sickle. I'm going to try to get through this if you'll bear with me a little bit more anyway. Put ye in the sickle. Revelation 14. We see the sickle. Most people apply that to the last day as most Arminians do when the Lord will reap all His people. And I will accept it in that context or in that sense, but that's not what this text is talking about. Neither is that one. Because if you read the Scripture in Revelation 14, I may not get through this, bear with me. If you read Revelation 14, the Scripture, you'll find... Ah... Let me just read. Another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in the sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine the earth, for grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into great wine past the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of 1,200 furlongs. All that blood, all that death, that's Jerusalem and its destruction. God gathered them there. There was a sickle used. God would gather the wicked. Yes, yes. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, He'll gather His sheep. There's a sickle. He'll gather the wicked. There's a sickle. The time of reformation at the end of the Roman uh, power is a word to use. There was a gathering. There was a harvest. There was a sickle used. True doctrine returned. That happens daily. Every time God moves a person to Him, it is a harvest. It is a sickle. We're going to have to continue on this, but I'm going to give you a little bit more. John... I think Matthew 3. Speaking to the religious elite, or so they thought, 
who came down to see him as he was baptizing in the river Jordan. Verse 7, Matthew 3, but when he, John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, that's what they were, snakes, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? God is going to judge the wicked. He would judge them here in Rome. That was a time, there had never been a time like, and there will never be a time in this world again. People run around hollering about the great trial and persecutions and all these things are going to happen. And they happen daily, but it does not and will not compare to God's judgment upon Jerusalem and those people who rejected Christ. Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Here we go. And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Their trees cut down. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Here's your sickle. I indeed baptize you with water under apprentice, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Fire, with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Watch this. Whose fan is in his hand. I used to hear this as a baby. I hear Brother Hans say that. I think about the women sitting here doing this. We didn't have an air conditioner. Those big old funeral home fans, you know. His fan is in his hand. And he, Christ, will thoroughly purge his floor. Gather and gather his wheat into the garner. Christ harvests. He puts in the sickle. He brings his sweet, his children, into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. We'll begin next week, probably, Lord willing, in Matthew 13, and talk about the last day and that sickle and that harvest and that gathering, which is what most, especially Armenians, apply this to. They don't see temporal salvation. Oh, everything's about eternal life. Uh, we have an abundant life in this world when God gives it to us and we walk in it. And it's in Christ and all glory be to Him. But we'll try to talk some more about the sickle. And we will finish this hopefully next week because it's two minutes to noon.